friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again by my genetically altered dog boy, sayer of the law and co-host, Tiger, Tiger, and the Moonlight. No, it's Alex Dandino. <laughs> All right, guys. As you know, this month's theme, the pod edits genetics. Um, tonight, just an absolute behemoth of a, of a conversation ahead of us. Let's take a moment to get to some business. Guys, please take a second. Leave us a rating and review wherever you find the pod, especially if it's Apple Podcast app. That helps us out a ton. We've seen more and more of you doing this. We love the reviews. We thank you guys for taking the time. It means the uh, world to us. If you haven't. We'll still be happy when you do it. Thank you, guys. Also, go subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see our beautiful faces. That is Nerd Alchemist, plural, with an S at the end. Uh, fun content coming there. We're, we're always working on new ideas. In fact, just before this, working on new ideas. So uh, stay tuned. Working. Also, next week, Jurassic Park. We'll just throw that in. And a specially added genetic uh, tale. But back to business. The Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> so let's let's just start. Let's break, right? down, let's break down this warlock. Let me start off with when I was a young boy, a young lad, we used to get taken to the library. And uh, I was a bit of a problem child, right? I had some like issues going on here and there, <laughs> as I think I've discussed on the show. But one thing I always had was uh, I found the Goosebumps book at an early age. Right. And I became inf- an obsessive reader, right? Mm-hmm just constantly reading all the time and my reading level is very good right so one of the things my school and my mom like the counselors tried to do i used to have to go to charter if you're a midwest kid you remember charter behavioral school oh boy yeah it was like a uh uh almost like a walmart of fixing your fucked up relatives yeah and so yeah i had an incident at school i had to go to charter right so one of the things they came up with was like this reading therapy so I was allowed to go, uh, you know, venture out of the kids section and into the adult section to check out books in my local library. And it made me feel really cool about myself. I was really proud of myself. Well, I found this book and it had this wild cover, right? The Island of Dr. Moreau. And I was like, I'm ready for this. I'm, you know, in fourth grade. I can handle this book. And so we went from the library and I'm reading the book. It starts off. You're reading, reading, reading. And by the time we get to the furniture store my mom wanted to go to, I'm like, I'm just going to stay in the car and read the book. No big deal. Midwestern parking lot, pitch black outside. And I start getting to the meat of the book. I got so fucking scared. I threw the book down, like waited, like really searched the dark in the shadows to see if it would be okay if I sprinted from the minivan to the store because I couldn't tolerate to be alone in the dark. I was so fucking scared, right? Cried. My mom, you know, you can't read this book anymore. You're punished, blah, blah. So <laughs> that was my expectation. And then I was like, oh, my God. They made a movie of it. I can't wait to go see what they kept cooked up, right, as a teen boy. Uh, and this is the movie that came out. And I, I'm going to shock some people. I, I'm actually impressed at what they accomplished all things considered <laughs> yeah i think because we talked a lot about go leading up to this griffey and i both talked a lot about the uh also documentary uh lost souls uh which yes. categorizes with sort of just catalogs richard stanley's journey from 
making this dream project to not making this dream project to witnessing this project get sort of dismantled in front of him. But when you watch them both paired up, yes, it is honestly an unmitigated, it's an unmitigated miracle that this movie made it a frame on screen, let alone onto my TV. And has a, I would say it has a coherent plot. Uh, I don't sure. And it, it has a. What it I has think the benefit the, of having the weird a book. Thing, well, right, but I mean, this is not exactly the book, right? <laughs> uh, it it takes some liberties, as you will. Sure. What I think happened is when you lost Richard Stanley, who had a real emotional connection to this, right? He talks about in the Lost Soul documentary, seeing it as a young boy, the '70s version. Yeah. And getting like aggressive and angry at how mad he was about this movie. He's like, I will someday do this. Right. So he's got a little heat, right? You know, it's the the hardware. Yeah. Which we covered on this show. We've done hardware and then he did Dust Devil. Dust Devil. So he's got some heat, man. And he gets his shot and he's like, I'm going to do my dream project. Right. And through sheer determination and grit, he gets this thing off the ground. And what's really fun about the documentary is the phase where they're showing you all the wild ideas and the it it, it something Which, happens when a when a filmmaker is so in love and attached to the idea. I think one yeah. of the worst things that you see in movies, one of the things that I I see in a movie and I just turn it off is you can just tell that it feels like no one gives a fuck. It yeah. doesn't have to be a good movie, bad movie. I mean, it looks like someone's just making something i turn it off and he had extreme passion for it yeah and i think the product we got on screen is so devoid of passion and emotion (laughs) yes while having a lot of really good stuff happening yeah it's it's a hard movie to sort out in a way (laughs) well i think that's the real like crux of it too is just Again, especially when she watched the documentary, you realize just how important it was to make this movie. Like, to me, this is the kind of thing like Richard Stanley, like in the movie business we know of now, like this isn't the kind of movie people generally try to make as like their third movie. Even though you got some heat, you're like, that's not I'm not at that level yet. But like convincing everyone with like the artwork, the artwork that he shows to us and to like and that he took around to studios to convince people to make this movie is fucking beautiful man like that's like the kind of stuff you're like i am jazzed to see that fucking movie and it is weird because you do see this sort of disjointed thing happening on screen which is like ultimately a movie that is like a husk of what they're trying to do i can tell you my personal experience watching this movie when i was younger (laughs) was a husk i mean (laughs) if if i may be so bold my personal experience bold, my friend. <laughs> watching this, like I saw this movie when I was younger too. And here's why though, because I, uh, you know, like many of you, I, uh, saw, well, you know, when the, we were allowed to go to the movie theaters, I went all the time. I saw Batman forever, like seven times in the theater. And then when it came out on video, I was like, perfect. I am buying this VHS with no money. So I made my parents buy it for me. <laughs> And because tr- on old VHS uh, tapes, they used to put trailers for movies that were coming out from the studio. And one of the mm-hmm. movies was Island of Dr. Moreau because Val Kilmer was in it. So doing a little yeah. cross promoting. I was like, whoa, that movie looks fucking terrifying. I have to see it. And granted, you know, I had known like I had read War of the Worlds when I was younger. And so I had known it was an H.G. Wells book, but I had never like really put a lot of effort into reading it. 
So I was like, I cannot wait to see this. And I watched it. And even as a young Sprout, I sat there. I'm like, I'm not sure what this movie is. (laughs) But I know that that creature work is awesome. And that was the only thing I gleaned from it until I was much older. Yeah, there is some. Well, that's the weird thing, right? So the movie is just exploding with talented people. Oh, yeah. Richard Stanley still credited for a screenplay. And Richard Stanley, thank God, has made a comeback. Mm-hmm. We covered uh, The Color Out of Space. Yep. Phenomenal. That's the kind of Richard Stanley. If he starts making a movie a year like that, we will be very fortunate at moviegoers, right? Right. Uh, you've got Frankenheimer, who did Manchurian Candidate. We recently talked about Ronan. You know, some big, impressive, I can't, I can't believe this movies. is the second Frankenheimer movie we're talking about. Right. It's a it's a bit of a, a leap in his uh, filmography, right? His oeuvre is uh, certainly different. Stan Winston doing all the creature work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his shop's helping do that, and he is one of the obvious kings of the the creature work. Yeah, Ron Perlman's in it. You you have Ron and Perlman, Brando, and Val Kilmer both. You know, pantheon actors. Val yeah. Kilmer at the peak of his powers. Marlon Brando is. This kind of Orson Welles-like legend, right, in the business. People admire him like a genius. Both in size but, and genius. Yeah, right? Like, they really had similar paths. <laughs> I can't believe they never – if if this were now, they would have had a podcast <laughs> about how much they hate every other movie, for sure. Oh, 100%. But it's, it's just insane. Like, Ron Perlman, it took me, like, 20 minutes into the movie, or, like, not even 20 minutes, probably midpoint, I'm like – Wait, is Ron Perlman the hyena or the goat guy? Yeah. <laughs> right? and I just, I'm trying to suss it out. And that's the weird thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. You have talent everywhere you look. But what becomes so wildly clear is that no one seems to have any any ground beneath their feet. No. Right? Everyone. The moment we meet Val Kilmer's character... He essentially makes no sense. I and Val Kilmer just runs hard on it, right? Yeah, so he goes we start deep. off in a lifeboat, which becomes really odd later in the movie when they try to twist us up. So there's the lifeboat, and it starts with the classic: the two men uphold my boat, fought like beast, not men. And there's blood in the boat, and they fall off, and he's by himself. I'm like, good start, good philosophical theme. I like this. Val Kilmer picks him up in the ocean, and is just like. Hey, what's up, bro? I'm hydrating you. Also, I'm giving you what I'll refer to as a veterinarian as Jimi Hendrix because dogs love this humor. So he's just drugging him, hydrating him. And then it's like, hey, better come with me on this island or else the guys are going to rape you. Yeah. And you're like, what is (laughs) because this is what becomes weird is Val Kilmer real early on. Right. Seems like he's, uh, you know, maybe he's like a Captain Ron type character. Right. (laughs) Not the case. He's apparently a real bad guy who's real bad at hiding his evil deeds. Right? I'm not past the Captain Ron thing yet. <laughs> you're you're stuck on it. You're not trying to move on with the analysis. You're stuck on Captain. But that's what I mean. He looks like a Captain Ron, right? Yeah, like a preppy totally. Captain Ron. And then all of a sudden, right? He's like, I had a rabbit as a boy. Whoops, I killed it. I'm British. And then Val Kummer's like, yes, yes. It just does a fucking neck snap. Yeah. And then we just move on like he like, can still be my buddy maybe. Yeah, like like it never fucking happened by the way. It's just like it's just moving on. I have again, the movie runs at this pace of just like, well, we got to get to that scene. 
well, let's get to the next thing. Like, it's such a weird, like, dogmatic way to edit a movie. It's like, all right, well, at minute 15, we're changing scenes here. Perfect. <laughs> this is the most literal saves the cat example. Seriously, anyway. it looks like someone was just reading a book on editing. They're like, yes, right here around the 15-minute mark is where we need to transition into the uh, uh, rising action. I'm like, what is happening right now? But this is this is the weirdest part of the movie. And it's I think what happens is, and this is why I think it all works for me, is because it's just people making really weird, horrible decisions. <laughs> Right? Constantly. Like, right. every actor is doing things that I'm like, no. Nope. No. Montgomery, no. Montgomery doesn't act that way. That's not how I accept this in the reality. Right. But because everyone's doing that, and everyone is doing things that make no sense, it all kind of congeals, and it becomes this Alice in Wonderland to me, where our, our lead actor, who essentially his whole job is to look befuddled and say Bible verses, right? Becomes this avatar of a Richard Stanley. Yeah. Right? Where he's like, I really just want to make this movie, but I'm caught between these absolutely fucking absurd human beings that are driving me actually insane. Like, he actually had a full mental breakdown and got fired. And I would say 90% of it is because Val Kilmer's a cock. Yeah. That is, I think, the best part about the documentary. Because... (laughs) You know, this movie didn't make anybody any money. So, like, the best part about it is just in general, like, (laughs) just in general, you're looking at it, you're watching the documentary, and you're like, wow, everybody hated Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer was such a dick to everybody the entire time. Like, you know for a fact it was his fault. You know for a fact he was the one who pushed everybody to the edge of sanity. So, and like, that's the best part is we haven't even gotten to Marlon Brando. Like, well, we will because there, there is some actual look at what this foretold happening that is so amazing that, again, the movie also works as kind of this time capsule movie, right? And it's this curse. It has all these extra things, right? So as we're going through this weird, you know, just <sighs> he has a Nobel, <laughs> like they're just doing weird shit, right? Yeah. Oh, he has a Nobel Prize. Whole time. Dead things everywhere. Oh, here's a, a hot young girl dancing to Inya while Val Kilmer blows on a purple flower. And you're just, in my mind, I'm like, what? What? Give me a bone. God damn it. And Val Kilmer locks the guy in his room, but does it in the most creepy way that ensures the guy's going to want to escape, right? Right. But then all of a sudden, we cut to, uh, you know, our lead escapes. He makes it into the lab, right? And we see some test tube people. And then we witness... Some hybrids helping, uh, I believe it's a cow woman. Yeah. With many, many boobs giving birth to a grotesque hybrid baby. And I I immediately, as a viewer myself, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Like, like, I'm in for this. This is the movie I want. Yeah. (laughs) Therein lies the real, like, that's, like, the thing that I love the most about this movie in general is because that is, like, the coup de grace of the whole thing. You could have not... You could have literally shown me like another, I don't know, 40 minutes of Val Kilmer blowing on a flower or like just like speaking in weird prophetic nothings about Jimi Hendrixing people. (laughs) If I had gotten to a fucking cow, like Dr. Moreau cow baby birth, that's like, I'm like, this is awesome. 
Like that is just fucking classic cool. Like right because in I that scene it. they do capture what is the most scary about this theme, right? This is what becomes really fun about this Dr. Moreau cuz it's not Dr. Moreau of the books per se. But this Dr. Moreau has this he he has this extra level, right? This feels like him and Montgomery, right? These people that were rejected by society, right? Yeah. Taking umbrage with God's creations more than like they're they're not trying to be benevolent creators, right? Right. In the book, I always thought of Moreau. They talk about this in the documentary too, is that Moreau is more of this playing God figure, right? Right. That he was a lot more benevolent than, you know, the the shockingly evil guy. And I think Brando maybe it is weird because I was like, is Brando as good as people because he's one of those actors that everyone's like he was the man and you're like yeah i saw a streetcar all right not my story per se on the waterfronts an all-time favorite of mine like he's great right he had great roles but people talk about brando and i think maybe we're just too young where i was like i never all the way saw it or found it right but then you watch something like this and you're like imagine this enormous obese man just being rude and horrible right trying every fucking silly stupid thing he can think of to not be in the movie not work ruin the product not read the script yeah and i think you could argue he's in three or four of the best scenes in the movie totally no i think you absolutely can make that you can make not only can you make that argument but you can also this is like the thing is when people talk about genius because again i I don't really know I don't really know what that means a lot of the time. Like I've seen things that I think well, are genius. All I know for sure is that people say it all the time and it's not right. Right. This, <laughs> but there, that to me is like the crux. Like, and I know I already said that, but that's like the crux of Marlon Brando is like, he is bar none. One of the biggest pieces of shit based on stories we've heard from this, from this production. Well, the, I mean, let, to be fair, he's I don't consider you a piece of shit if you're just lazy. Right. Right. But, like we've learned that there are actual like like Val Kilmer's a piece of shit. Right. But <laughs> but the fact that he didn't read the script and do all this shit, that is what makes Marlon Brando a fucking genius. Because if three of the four best scenes in the movie or four, really, of the best scenes in the movie have him in it. Yeah. And he's. Again, you're totally right. Making the wrong choices for every aspect of this movie. Everything. Like everything. From the from the you know, sunbonnet down, terrible choices all the way through. But, but that's what I mean. And it's okay, a, so, still a great performance. So Brando no in the, the white sunscreen <laughs> and the the face veil and shit, right? Amazing. That what I like about that, and that's the weird thing. You know, I don't I don't believe that this was something he really thought out. No. To me, right? Like, I guess you could say he just felt it. But what it is, is it's it's just another way for him to raise his nose at what God has given us. Right. And you're like, this shockingly worked. Because then you start thinking, like, five minutes later, he's in the thing, and he's he interrupts a crucial moment in the movie, right? Here are the beast people trying to hand over this guy who's seen too much in this horrific plain ghetto right with all these animal people and uh val kilmer's just gonna shoot hand him the gun oh my god this is ratcheting up and then brando's like oh the vapors i can't handle the heat so hot don't you think it's hot like i and i (laughs) but you're like so this 
massively overbeast fuck who hates the sun has just been doing this routine for 17 years <laughs> like he never thought like hey uh they also don't have you know governments in like the arctic circle and i can just breed like polar bear and penguin people <laughs> right this fat guy who hates the sun and you know that somewhere there's probably a like a sweat journal right total <laughs> like marlon brando's yellow moreau journal where he's like after i conquer the devil and the human gene i'll conquer that cur- that sun curses <laughs> he's just like dripping grease on the book right like that yeah that but it's it's such a it's a weird bad choice that i still don't i don't know if i believe that he really thought it out like that but it fucking works it, does. it works for like, me i think it's from the top down like it barrels through the insanity of this movie and makes me continue to, like like there's some movies that are just so bad you would think they're good. This is not one of them to me. Like I don't think this movie is particularly good. However, <laughs> I find this movie so fucking watchable that I have to continue yes. to watch it. There's nothing about this movie that's going to make and me turn it off. That makes it good. And that makes that, it That that that's an argument that me and you have all the time where you're like I watched it, I can't stop watching it, but it sucks. I'm like, "No." If it sucks, you would stop watching. But see, it. I don't like the I don't like that edict of like so bad it's good. If it's good, it's good. If you don't like it, you don't like yeah. it. But like, yeah, I'm not a guilty pleasure. Yeah, guy I don't like the guilty either, pleasure but. movies. Like, I know the movies I like that people think suck. That's their fucking opinion. I don't care. But I said this. I'll say this every day. If some if someone like Nickelback, right, like this maligned item, and they came out with a song that slaps, I'm gonna be out tanning my pectorals. Blasted Nickelback for everyone to hear, yeah, and is, I won't be ashamed of that. I won't. Be it is guilty. what it is, and I think if I like it, I like it, and that's like the essence of the island Did of Doctor Moreau. We just say that this is, is that the Nickelback of sci-fi Val Kilmer. This movie is a. I wouldn't say this movie is more of a seether of. Uh, How dare you! This is not a seether or event horizon level or vertical Ooh, horizon. Vertical. Oh, I, tried this is defi- a, I tried to throw another 90s one. <laughs> this is not necessary. No, this isn't vertical horizon level. We're not there. This is closer to seether, but getting to also Nickelback. to be fair, if this was a band, right? Like from that era, it would definitely be Mudvayne. You think this would be, or Mudvayne? you'd be like, yeah, I'm, you'd be like, that's a lot of painting and hair choices. I'm, Why is this happening? I'm going to tell you right uh, now. But it'll be over soon. <laughs> the band the band that the Dark Island of Dr. Moreau movie is in the 90s is definitely saliva. And it's because of Marlon Brando. Sorry. <laughs> no. Yep. If you had said sweat or something. <laughs> nope. It's saliva. <laughs> no. I'm telling you, look up Mudvayne. Oh, no. I know what Mudvayne looks like. If you don't know who a Mudvayne is. what they look like. Tell me, just watch that one video with like, bleh, 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 and they they look almost like too weird to be cast as extras in Fury Road. That's kind of was their look, you know what I mean? But that that one video to me sums up what happened in this. Marlon Brando. This is, this is what I mean, though. Think of this, though. So Brando accidentally makes this movie iconic because he's also the guy we learn in the documentary. Who saw the the tiny fellow? I yeah. believe they said was from Peru. I think so. He was some performer who had performed on TV shows, whatever they found. Yeah. Him. And on the way, because there was a an, an aggrieved German actor who likes doing impressions in the documentary, he was mad. Uh, he was a uh, my Miley, right? That yeah. uh, the smart dog boy at the end who blows everything up. Yeah. He was supposed to have this big role, and he just got totally replaced. 
because Moreau liked the idea, uh, or Brando, not Moreau, but Brando. Brando liked the idea. Same difference after a while. Of having this little guy. Mm-hmm. And what is the most iconic scene in this movie? For me? I mean, it, for everyone, it's the double piano. It's the double piano, yeah. Oh, that's everybody's? What, I didn't know that was like, I. that's and, always and, the thing yeah, I remember. Well, this became like a whole running motif. But what that scene does, what I think is really cool, that's the best Dr. Moreau scene, too. Yeah. Is because it shows you this, this fucking fat, sweaty heathen who hates the sun. He think he's kind of this like weird southern lady, right? Like you expect him to always be like another lemonade. Oh yeah. You know he's like the sun, the vapors. Woo! Oh time. my god, what Constantly, did you just say? I think that. Yeah, delicate, right? And he's you know worried about. You know, I love what he's talking. They have that really Texas Chainsaw Massacre style dinner where it's just him and Val Kilmer. Just hating each other on screen while everyone yeah. sits uncomfortably. But what he says in that scene is pretty cool, right? Which is like, I saw the devil in my microscope and I chained him. And I chained So you just see this like real dainty, uppity guy who's just mad at everything not being the way he right. likes. And he thinks that he has all this class. And so this guy sitting there playing piano while having his little abomination right who must just have a horrid life yeah like he's just this like twisted gnarled bit of flesh we see later they don't even always give him clothes and he just dresses like moreau and plays the piano with him with his like gnarly hands and you're like that's the whole movie in an image and i love any movie that can give me that one image you're like that covers everything that is cool about this idea. you know there's another aspect of um brando's performance and like it's always the thing he gets made fun of because like that's just like the tone of his voice but when he was younger the tone of his voice was very cool and like kind of sexy but as he got older and like in more like this bloated carcass of a man it became like the perfect like high sort of wispy fat guy voice because like he's he was like the first karen yeah no he's definitely the first karen like 100 Moreau in this movie is the first character. He's the first character. He doesn't want to go outside, but he wants to bitch and complain about everybody. Like that whole bit of him sitting there and just going like, God, dude, I fucking absolutely adore that whole monologue where he's like, I saw the devil in a microscope. Like, again, I'm but that's just, great. And he says he chained him. It's great. Like, it's a really good monologue. And like, again, it's just, it's a great monologue trapped in the weirdest, body face scene and movie ever to have Val Kilmer just stares in disgust well well he, Val Kilmer's doing his best prop comedy with like rabbit legs with that and fucking shit. rabbit it's, leg thing I'm like what, what a strange is going on? But that's but that is why this works is because in a movie full of genetically made hybrid abominations that are questioning to the heavens <laughs> what am I the weirdest shit that ever appears on screen <laughs> happens from Brando or Kilmer. I know. I every we see a, a cow lady give birth, and you go, "Oh!" And like, within five minutes, you're like, "Wait, what is Marlon Brando wearing?" <laughs> and you totally forget the fucking horrific birth scene that you just saw. That is truly and honestly the magic of this movie, and that's 100 percent why it's worth watching. Because, again. You sit there, you watch this movie, and the weirdest thing is not the cow baby being born. It's not like the Stan. This is the craziest thing. The beautiful, awesome Stan Winston work yeah. 
is almost second fiddle to what the fuck Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer are doing with each other in this movie. Like the actor standoff those two are having constantly because like you know it's just and i'm not even saying that because we watched the documentary and you know that all that shit going on behind the scenes you know that deep down val kilmer's like this fucking guy's washed up i'm gonna fucking act his ass off the screen and i'm like that's what it's doing these two are just like one-upping their crazy and not tolerating each other it's so great well, they talked about in the doc, right? Like, they wouldn't leave the trailer first, so, like, they would just wait and, like, stall production for hours because they were in, like, a standoff <laughs> over who's the lesser actor. Awesome. And it's it's just in – but you know what is really funny about it now, and this is why it works as a bit of a Hollywood time capsule, is you actually see Val Kilmer, who's being just an unbearable monster on this set, right? right. Just being a horrible douche. And he's staring at the man who is possibly one of the most legendary, hard-to-work-with douches in all of Hollywood, right? Right. But because he did so much great work early, he is revered as a legend, right? Right. Because that's the thing. If you do that before you're a famous legend, you're an asshole and no one hires you. Right. (laughs) If you do some good work first, then you're just an eccentric genius, right? Right. But Brando's just this unbearable ball of difficulty, right? And Val Kilmer's sitting there staring at that. And has no awareness to go, that's not the legacy I hope to leave behind. Right. And just a week ago, the newspapers were releasing, hey, Val Kilmer, sorry, he's overweight. Uh, he's had surgery and he wants to, like, be friends with everyone again. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, you're Brando. He's actually in real life just become Brando. Yeah. And he's burnt so many bridges and he's such a piece of shit. Like, who knows? It's, but but he also still has – there are still guys like me that would hope for a Val Kilmer comeback, you know? Absolutely. It's, but, like, the fact that these two are on screen and he had no awareness yeah. of the path he was on is insanity. I think that level of lack of awareness is probably the thing that makes him so fascinating in this movie. Because, again, he's just constantly trying to ratchet up – this insanity over Marlon Brando on the screen. I think that's the thing I kind of begrudgingly respect about these performances between the two of them is because they're constantly trying to out crazy on camera. The other one, like, but you, but you know, what's strange though, is that Brando's craziness, like here, here's the example of Brando's craziness, right? Like one, Yes, of course. He is this guy who wants them to be vegetarian and follow laws. Meanwhile, he's just butchering and breaking every law. Right. There's That's the absurd, like, dark, scary villain version of Moreau, right? Right. What this movie actually does, though, here's the, the scene where you just are watching and you're like, what the fuck? Marlon Brando's Dr. Moreau wakes up in the middle of the night in just like a, a big, sweaty, fat guy robe, goes down and gets some milk and cookies, he hears his house being raided by monsters, right? That it should not be in his compound at all. Right. Banging on the computer, and he comes out, and he's like, oh, hey, what's up, guys? That reminds me of this one artist who plays terrible piano music. And it takes him minutes to think that he might be in trouble, <laughs> right? To just, like, be like, oh, wow, that piano monologue was not the right thing. They're bleeding on my floor. I don't have the Zappa. And it's just like, what? But just Brando <laughs> sauntering, waddling in in his boxers and robes like, oh, 
yeah, let's bro out on the piano. Right. That is the insanity that he brought to this character. And it, again, it's a terribly stupid decision, but it completely works for the character uh, he makes. Exactly. Val Kilmer's equivalent is, hey, uh, I put the circuit board for the communications array on my head. <laughs> you know? I mean... I guess the, the subtle crazy Val Kilmer moment that really haunts you. They're subtle. Is him just like uh, giving the drugs and making out with the pig ladies. Oh, dude. That is like some and they, fucking they next level shit. And they just absolutely tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt yeah. that uh, Montgomery is just definitely uh, bumping it with these hybrid ladies. Like 100%. Yeah. Getting high as fuck and bumping it. With Getting the like super high and nailing pig ladies. That's like, oh yeah. Cause he, okay. So I saw that and I was like, fuck dude. At the very beginning was that little cow baby half him. Like did he, oh. <laughs> it already came out demanding a bigger trailer. <laughs> I want a big old cattle trailer. <laughs> I honestly like that was like the first thought I had, Ew. especially on this round. I was like, "Oh, did he fuck the pit, the cow lady too? Does he not? Does he have sex with every single one of them except for Feruza Bulk?" Yeah, the only one who looks like an actual attractive human. God, dude. <laughs> no, you know what is the worst? This actually just struck me too. He actually spends his last scenes in the movie doing a fuck you impression of Marlon Brando. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That scene is actually what, wild because he puts the shirts on. He puts under, the shirts so he looks on. Fat. <laughs> he puts the fucking makeup on. Like, that's the thing that I think is the best That's part. probably the only day he showed up early to set. He's like, oh, I'm ready to <laughs> oh, shoot I'm ready. today. Let's get this on, man. Brando's not here. I got a killer impression. But that's the difference, right? That scene is wild. And then he starts doing the, like, ah, ah, ah. Like, you know, 90s, I'm going to, like, separate by being crazy acting. Right, right. But then they have to add that he's just like, well, I better go to my drug orgy where we saw was formerly some kind of animal church or court of law. That's where the sayer of the law holds his like. Poor sayer of the law. (laughs) Yeah, the sayer of the law is like, oh, what's up, Montgomery? You coming to talk uh, legal standards and uh, practices? He's like, yeah, actually, we're just all going to do a fuckload of drugs and bang. And the sayer of the law is like, gross, I'll be at the dock. (laughs) like he just goes down to like their sacred land to do drugs and have an orgy and it's awesome but it's awesome and that's what that's what the difference is is val kilmer playing crazy you're like wow look at him going for it marlon brando it just felt very natural and real that's the thing marlon brando it feels very authentic and yeah (laughs) i but and then i watch val kilmer do it and i'm like well it's good thing val kilmer's acting glad he didn't have to blend in too much into this role like, i like Val. i'm not trying to do no no I, look, I like but i Kilmer do too. love he has one of my favorite lines in the movie which is when the dog man comes back right the guy who just turns real fast like real happy to turn and start hunting and killing yeah and uh, he shows up to val kilmer and val just grabs him and he goes i hear what he says like what's up dog or something <laughs> like ridiculous and he just goes well this didn't work out <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that should have been on the fucking That should have been the poster. Well, this the didn't work out. Dr. Moreau. Dr. Well, <laughs> that didn't work out. <laughs> oh, my God. That, I think, is probably 
<laughs> it's between that and David Lewis screaming in the radio box room. Like uh, th- those are the two. <laughs> those are the microcosms of not just making the movie, but the movie in general, right there. Because David yeah. Lewis is all of us screaming, "What the fuck is going on in this movie?" And then, like when they just have the the rat humans that are really rat sized. And we don't ever find out, is that a dream? Is that real? No, like, it's just, we'll I, leave those over there. We never see fine. those rat people again. Never has to be addressed. I haven't, <laughs> it's bananas. But but that's what, that's what I mean, though, is that what I think you see, though, is that the biggest critique I have of the movie, right? And the thing that I think is the hardest and why it, it probably doesn't work for most people is because... They just take all of the they they completely flatten all of the hybrids. The hybrids don't matter in this yeah. movie at all. Right. What they do is they take a little bit of time to set up a pretty obvious symbolism of slavery and, you know, race relations, right? right? That's as much as they want to go into it. And then they have one guy screaming, "What am I?" But there's no real well, I'd say like pondering, right? That's the problem. Especially There's, even from uh, what's her name, Veruza Balk's Veruza character. Balk, yeah, who's you're like okay, so you're in between both worlds and you're regressing. Right. Talk me through that. Well, <laughs> and I think that's the problem, and like that's like that's the main issue with the movie is the pathos that we are supposed to be following is of these hybrid people because then it right. actually matters. Right. I think the issue is that we spend so much time with these horrible, horrible horrible humans <laughs> that yeah. and they like are ratcheting up the crazy nonsense like even david Lewis is like turning in this bizarre performance of like, like i i don't but like uh, it's a uh, pendrix the character right like i don't get it at all <laughs> well at one point he's like oh wait i was kidnapped and brought to the lab and i was like wait he like val kilmer's already like a horrible drug vet like he couldn't bring any fucking why can't he bring one of those pirates? It had to be like some fucking uppity British dude yeah. who was on a flight. Yeah, apparently some, apparently the Somalian pirate brigade just avoided the island of Dr. Moreau completely. Right. But yeah. Mel Kilmer's like, these guys are ruffians. You don't want to see ruffian in the microscope. No way. <laughs> but yeah, that's what that's that's what I think. And I think all of the Moreau movies have suffered from this, right? Is you're following a man, right, who represents us in our modern society, yeah. going to an island and being appalled at what he sees, right? Like, oh, it's an abomination to science and blah, blah, blah. And the kind of underlying theme of Moreau always is we're not any better than these creatures, right? right. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I like that. That's right? always, I kind of like well, the, the cynical science great. fiction, yeah. but that's fine. Okay, so if that's the case... You have to spend a little more time and effort showing me moments of the hybrids being more human exactly. than Montgomery and Moreau. And I would argue they don't do that once in this movie. No. Because that's the problem is you get the feeling that the probably the best of the hybrids is the uh, Az- Azazelo, right? The the dog guy who's the hunter. Az- he likes to Az- hunt. Is that is it? Azello? Az- Azazel- Azello? Azazel- something like Azazel- that. I don't know. Just... Yeah, so he's the one who shoots, uh, you know, Lomai, the, the the cheetah person who eats people, and he's like, oh, sorry, I thought you wanted me to protect everyone, Father. Right. That's a good, really interesting hybrid person moment, right? 
in his, you know, burning Lomai's carcass and then kind of sniffing it and smiling like, mm, that tastes good. Yeah. That is great hybrid people stuff, right? Because now we're fascinated by, oh, you know, where is the line? And that's the prep. But, I mean, that might be as much as we get. And what they do, which sucks, is they show the rest of them living in, like, this squalor. Mm-hmm. And they show us the sayer of the law who seems like he's not thinking and only parroting yeah. whatever Moreau told him until the last scene, right? Right. Then he kind of gets it. And uh, all the other hybrids are just worried about pain. What are we? But in no interesting, relatable way. Right. I think that that's like, because this is always the thing, because to me, I mean, they're not the same thing, but to me, like, Animal Farm and the Island of Dr. Moreau yeah. address sort of the same general concepts of like, are we no better than the beasts of the land? Like so on and like that kind of thing. Right. And the true villains are the humans, so on and so forth. So to not address that at all and literally make this about like, who's the crazier person on the island? Like we all know <laughs> who the craziest person on the island is. He's literally sitting yeah. there not sunbathing and like, so, like, or he's the guy who's dressed like, you know, Captain Ron, like you said, and like do- dosing people and fucking pig ladies. Like, that's the problem. I want to see some hybrid guys like, well, I'm wheeling in another industrial sized drum of SPF 70. Uh, but, you know, Captain Ron's over there just fucking slapping my mom's eight tits around. This is not my favorite. Like, this island sucks. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. right, like, where's the sequel? Where, where Where's the sequel that they go who live in, like, Wales or something like that and get, get, have a much better life? Like, Where's the angsty-ass, like, skunk teen game? Where's, it talks about all the things they don't like. Where's the Island of Dr. Moreau directed by, like, Steve McQueen? Like, that's that's the sequel, you know? <laughs> that's true. All the hybrids are just Michael Fassbender's monster hog. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, oh, good for you, Fazbender. Yeah. No, I just that's that's where the movie because I think Brando and Kilmer are impossible to take your eyes off of, right? In right. this really strange way. The the hybrids are really cool for the most part. Like I, I like hyena, I like this, you know, peeling your you know button out so you can't feel the pain anymore is a cool enough concept. I liked where this was going, right? The action's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's not particularly scary, but it's it's a fun, like, slow build, you know, thrilling conclusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then this, like, the prime example of how they failed the hybrids is at the end when uh, they just throw the, the pussycat lady. They just hang her, like, in no time. Yeah. Like, they're about to make their valiant stand. She starts going, meow. Like, we're about to get some, like, cat kung fu. Yeah. Moreau's like, you don't know how strong you are. And the dog boy's like, I wish you had also gotten spanked. Next snap. It's like, well, that's weird. Yeah. Because when that movie ends, that's the problem. When they kill her, you are truly, absolutely left with no one else to care about well, or like in the whole movie. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's the main problem with the movies. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the bigger problem with the ending is just you have to finish the movie. <laughs> like yeah like when they kill her you're like all right so i'm guessing the white guy will pull through because 90s <laughs> right and you're like what else are we doing like wh- what else is happening yeah. well like once you kill once you kill the cat lady you're kind of like okay um she was the one though that was reverting back and could have overcome right the traumas of you know whatever he had done to them i think that's the thing right and that's why i think making the switch from Richard Stanley 
who feels like the kind of guy who would really understand the mindset of these hybrids, right? Like his journey outsider feeling oppressed by the Hollywood system. Right. I think he would have given us a lot more of that. Right. Right. And I think some of what Brando did as Moreau comes from Richard Stanley's vision. But then you just see that when you bring a guy like Frankenheimer in, who doesn't really like the genre, doesn't care for the script. And he's like, Hey, I just got to get us from a to B. That's what is happening. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. And and all of the emotional beats that are, you know, in most movies, they don't feel like they fit this world. No, and I mean, I think what you're getting when you get a John Frankenheimer who comes in and makes a movie like this has to like pick up the pieces and start over essentially. Yeah. But what you're getting is yeah, like a real paint by numbers movie about like plotting <laughs> yeah. and like you get this soulless thing in a movie that should be all about the soul. What is the soul right. of a man? Like that's like the entire point of the book itself. So to me also it's kind of the entire debate of genetics right? exactly it's the we can the create entirety. new bodies we can make our bodies stronger whatever but if we don't fix the soul are we fixing any of the problems right. right so to just like and this movie's like fuck that yeah <laughs> so to, john frankenheimer come and be like i just want to finish the movie i don't give a shit what this movie's about for him literally to push I got to get everything to reindeer aside. games god damn it yeah and like again it's just you, it's, I would really anybody who's listening to this go watch this documentary about it, like because it's fascinating. Because a, rarely do you get people in this business. Because look, I, I work, I work in this business. I can tell you right now, rarely do you want to get people this candid. Because honestly, when you do, you like put your career at stake telling people the truth. Everyone in this fucking movie is telling the truth, and it's fascinating. <laughs> like well because a lot of them are like yeah we don't work anymore you want to hear some shit <laughs> yeah no exactly i mean when you look at like i think about the feruza balk interview that first ad getting interviewed and then even rob morrow who still worked works worked fairly consistently at that point like when i look at those things particularly feruza balks where she tells the story about how she fucking bailed as soon as she found out richard stanley got fired she drove like she like got a limo and drove all the way to fucking uh, Sydney and her agent called and said, if you if you fucking quit this movie, you will never work again. They will find a way to ruin your career and you'll never work. So she fucking trucked it back and dealt with the Frankenheimer of it all. Because the other thing is John Frankenheimer is, as everyone says in the doc, is like an old school director. John Frankenheimer's from that school of directing where you like you yell at everyone to get things done. And that's like sort of the bizarre dichotomy of the movie so you wonder like what version of this movie that you'd get from richard stanley and i think what we've been talking about what's been missing from this like from this movie that would make it what we think would be more palatable that's what you would get from richard stanley that's what you get from richard stanley movies what you don't get that's the that's the thing though right you're on to it right there is if you took the because it sounds like neither actor was directed at all no So you take the weird Brando Kilmer shit as these two kind of archetypes for bad humans. Right. Let them run wild and then just surround them with an art house island full of these fucking beasts and creatures that, while they look scary, are actually forming a culture and have, you know, their own ethics and things like that, like real serious debates. Right. And watching humans tromp through that environment with a lot of you know style and flair i mean yeah i think i think this movie would have been so much more and it's it's 
literally impossible to say that Richard Stanley movie, his movie would have been way better than this. No, it's because who fucking knows if he would have even been able to pull it off at that stage. I mean, and that that's like the real tragedy of a movie like this is a it's a classic piece of literature that you could have turned into something that you can turn into something really great. And I think that's like that's the saddest part is we'll never know what Richard yeah. Stanley really could have done. Like, I didn't know this. Like, I, I was looking through the cast list. The people that he cast as the, like, main animals are or animal people are fucking incredible. Like, the guy who played Django Fett was uh, a, a Zazello. Mm-hmm. Like, th- like, Ron Perlman, uh, Mark, De, Mark Descasos. I, I, he was in um, – he's a – He's in John Wick three, like he was he was he was my uh, Milang like those, or was he? I don't remember. Either way, like you can't tell, <laughs> but those performances yeah. I bet probably would have been incredible. But we'll never we'll never see him. Like you but have not, great actors. It's not, yeah, and that's I think that's what is the hardest part about this movie is again when I saw it as a kid I just remember being like that was fun, right? It's you know interesting to watch it's got some wild imagery you know it's it's a fun serviceable version of that story right but again i never felt that tear that i felt reading the book man that's one of those things that like reached into my soul and scared the fuck out of me right that i felt unsafe in this world yeah that nature was out there waiting for me no matter what i did right right and i think that's what i think that becomes the hardest part is i as a young guy who was really affected by that book. And I went back and finished it later. Once I became real tough, you know, no big deal. Once I became super tough and cool, I finished it and it's great. Uh, and also a guy, you know, who's been writing scripts and trying to make a movie for a long fucking time, wildly unsuccessfully, you know, (laughs) as is obvious, uh, watching a guy have that much passion and get that fucking close and not be able to push it over the line. It is brutal, man. Yeah. I, and it's weird because when you watch Dr. Moreau, I think it's more obvious than other movies. But then you start thinking about other movies you've seen that take shit. And then, you know, now with the Internet, we hear more about, oh, fighting between directors and executives right. and all the cuts and whatever. And you start realizing how much you can put into something and still, you know, not reach the the pinnacle or the finish line is yeah. that that really becomes brutal, man. Very much like Moreau. You're like, I'm this close. I found the devil. I'm this close. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I was like, your daughter seems pretty good. Yeah. She's all right. Right. And then, yeah, they hinted that the British guy was like, he said, I didn't know how close he was. I was like, Oh, he's a clone. I'm like, Oh no, wait, he's clone juice for cat daughter. <laughs> That's fine. I'm not going to try to comprehend. Right. But you start doing this thing. And all of a sudden, Richard Stanley, Lark Marlon Brando, just becomes this bloated, beaten down carcass for the the monsters of this island to eat. Right. And it's just fucking brutal, man. But, you know, that's the weird thing is I still find it. I'm still captivating. I think I can't ever like I've watched it a lot more than you would imagine. I'm still entertaining to me. I'm still entertained. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. I'm still entertained. Yeah. I mean, it's just, but this movie, again, it's kind of that, the alchemy that we talk about on this show is you can take so many weird things and flaws and whatever, 
and sometimes they just come together right. I mean, that's and I feel like this movie is just an <laughs> never-ending string of failures <laughs> and heartbreak that somehow yield a pretty entertaining romp. Yeah, that then leads to a really good documentary, <laughs> right? And it, I don't know. I I think it's I think it's a fun one. It I dig it. It's fun. All right, guys, that's enough for Dr. Moreau. We got to get off this fucking island. (laughs) We hope that you had as much fun on the island as we did. Again, watch The Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, And make sure to watch Lost Souls, man. It's a documentary about Richard Stanley's uh, struggles through that. And it's even more fun to watch now that we know that he has returned and is now going to be doing a a Cthulhu universe for us. It's free on Amazon Prime, guys. Check yeah, it so re- it's not as sad as it was the first time I saw it because Richard Stanley's back. Yeah. So now it becomes a triumphant underdog story, man. Please leave us a rating and review wherever you find podcasts. Uh, follow our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist, for more fun stuff coming your way. See our hybrid faces. I don't know if there was a hybrid you thought you looked most like. I was like, I'm feeling that bison guy lately. Like, I feel the bison guy. Oh, I definitely want the bison guy. Yeah, I was like that. It's just an ordeal. I feel very sweaty a lot. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> Bison guy also has that like half like half cocked face. I'm like, I feel like that a lot oh, of the time. Oh, yeah. I've been there with you, Bison brother. But okay. So all that, guys, we finish the pod edits genetics month with the granddaddy of them all. The masterpiece of genetic storytelling, Jurassic Park. Also, we're adding one more genetic tale uh, early next week. We both just found it, watched it. And I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. Uh, a movie called All That We Destroy by Chelsea Stardust. It was part of uh, Hulu's Into the Dark mm-hmm. uh, line of films. And it's a really fascinating movie. Again, like Dr. Moreau, uh, things can get messy and convoluted when you're you know, playing God. But a really interesting movie that I think is going to make a fun conversation. Yes. So we'll have both of those for you next week uh, to wrap up our edit genetic theme. So for the film alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino.